welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast at Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, it's Facebook, and Instagram is the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by the man responsible for the Applebee's commercial, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Gerald, I actually uh, I hadn't seen said commercial. I had heard whispers of this atrocious song. I understood that people were saying things were fancy like chain restaurants. And again, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with a chain restaurant. Um, but I, I now, after seeing the full commercial and I guess TikTok trend, realized the uh, multi-layered joke that a, a friend of I, who I saw when I was in Austin, mentioned uh, rewatching Friday Night Lights and, and, and imploring for the past week uh, his, his wife to go on a date night like Coach and Tammy Taylor uh, at Applebee's. And I now understand he was making a multi-layered joke, not just not just wanting to emulate, you know, Kyle Chandler, because who wouldn't, um, but, but also, you know, playing on uh, viral marketing. So uh, fancy like Applebee's, um, no comment. Applebee's, if you'd like to sponsor us, come come make our podcast fancy as well. Uh, you can tweet at us at Longhorn Pod Applebee's. I know you're listening. I don't feel like Applebee's is like the fanciest mall parking lot chain food, though. Like I know, like fancy, like Texas Roadhouse doesn't fit the rhyme scheme, but I feel <laughs> like uh, Applebee's is just like you could you could do better, right? Is that your number one pick? Is that your if you have first round draft pick of of fancy ish chains? <laughs> Uh, That's what you're going, and this this is on the spot. No prep. No, no prep at all. From the hip. Here's the thing. I'm a firm believer that Texas Roadhouse is the only place where gluttony is like cool, where it's like you, eat, you yeah. eat so many rolls that you're like, I probably should get a smaller entree, but then you get the bigger steak anyways, nope. and you're just like, I hate yep. myself. Like you take your pants off immediately as you walk in the door, right? You <laughs> you leave them where they fall, and you'll get them later when you can actually move again. I, I don't know if it's fancy, but I like Texas Roadhouse. This is the one time on this podcast that truly, and, and there's other items that in, in life that you should absolutely listen to my wife's opinion and, and, and skirt by mine. But this, she should be on this podcast for, to host this segment because um, this is her, her guilty pleasure wheelhouse is just all of this category, whatever you call this genre. Um, and, and, and she's not ashamed of it. And I love that about her. Um, again, I, I would probably throw cheddars in the mix here. I feel like she's a big, big P.F. Chang's uh, girl for the nostalgia. You know, we've we've had Chili's dates before. I, I'm gonna leave some of hers out. Maybe I'll get her get her thoughts and tweet them out uh, after this. Users, uh, listeners, tweet us your your favorite uh, fancier than Applebee's hashtag fancier than Applebee's at uh, Longhorn Pod and let us know what your what your go to chain uh, fancy date night either is or was in uh, you know in like 2006. You know, either way. We've already spent way too much time on this on a podcast that's already going to be super long because we're definitely not here <laughs> to talk about chain restaurants, even though we probably should start a uh, podcast called Snatchio Chain and we just review Ooh, chain restaurants, which that's would be That's a great. good title. Uh, but we're here to talk about the first game of the year. Texas 
went in, and I'm just going to be honest with you. Now that it's over, I was feeling a little disrespected all the last couple of weeks. People putting Texas on upset watch and people calling Texas overrated. Uh, I love the guys at Rage and Review. They're actually really nice guys, but like they were they were talking some noise. Cocky. Very, very confident in their Rage and Cajuns. Really, it's all Matt Campbell's fault. But Texas came out. And did what they were supposed to and beat the Ragin' Cajuns 38 to 18. And it never even really felt that close. Yeah, it was it was a weird sensation um, to go through an entire game and not really feel stress. Um, I mean, there were moments, of of course, but it was never really in jeopardy. We've joked before that Texas always seems to give up a field goal to a a uh, like a G five or a lesser opponent um, and and go down three zero and then it's like the last time that that it works even against like teams they beat fifty six to three um, they always seem to like give up a field goal first in the beginning um, so I um, you know w- when that happened uh, I I kind of was like oh we're we're gonna come back and score here and we did and after that uh, when we got things rolling a little bit and we our first touchdown of the year was it was easy points I was like. Hey, are things going to be okay? Are they going to be easy? Um, it felt like a well-coached team. I mean, you, you could have looked at these two teams and not necessarily known which one of them was uh, the team with the new head coach or basically knew all coaches uh, in the in, in a team with you know a, a returning starter at the most important quarterback position and a coach uh, you know who had, who had led them to uh, a ten win season last year and brought back all the talent you you could have been confused as to which was which right and and that's i say that in the in the best way to compliment uh sark pk and in the entire ut coaching staff because that's what a great feeling on a week where you looked around college football and it wasn't easy for a lot of people who it should have been easy for um very much so this one felt pretty easy yeah this one felt pretty easy again in this in the relative scale of this was a was a good football team. I mean, a Sun Belt team, but that that you know, you looked at the size of them, you looked at the speed, you looked at the players. They, they you, you could have slid them in the big ten, Big Twelve, and they wouldn't have looked off. You know, they looked the part. Like they 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 had good sized players. You know, they they had playmakers. They just Texas was the better team. And man, it felt great. It's been a lot of years to just feel that. Just yeah, better team. We won. It almost felt surreal. Like I was waiting for the other shoe to drop the entire time. Yeah, which is just I think conditioning from the last four years where I'm like, where do the wheels fall off? This is where they usually Mm -hmm. fall off. Oh, this is where they're going to go on a run and it's going to get unnecessarily tight. And that just never happened. And that to me was, is the biggest change. And I think we'll talk about specifics, but the simple fact that this was a, this was kind of a wire to wire. Once Sark figured out what, how he wanted the game to flow, especially offensively, they never really felt like it was in doubt at all. It never really felt like UL was knocking on the door. And when you look at like garbage time, there wasn't a ton of garbage time in this game, but then also like kind of anecdotally, the whole like fourth quarter felt garbage right? Because UL mm-hmm. was technically within striking distance, but I never really thought they were going to strike based on, what the defense was doing. We'll talk about that in just a minute, but overall the offense played really, really well. 438 total yards, 6.7 yards per play adjusted. If you drop off that last uh, drive, because that was really when it was truly out of reach. They had, they couldn't have scored enough points in the amount of time allowed. So that's like kind of garbage time, that very last drive. So six, seven, three adjusted yards per play gave up a hundred and had 170 rushing yards, only 16 negative yards uh, in that four yards per carry as a team, 265 through the air, 
yards per completion. A um, little bit heavier on uh, the rush this game, 42 rushes to 26 passes. Texas 8-15 on third downs. Perfect in the red zone. I say perfect. Yeah, 5-5 five of five, uh, in the red zone. Two rushing, three passing touchdowns. The only big thing were seven penalties for 64 yards. But even the penalties felt different. And I know that sounds dumb to say, but I, re- yeah. I remember <laughs> last year, I had those, what, what I'll call those ugh penalties, right? Like where it's just mm-hmm. like, this again, ugh, right? Like Texas with big play after big play negated. And that happened once or twice, but it never felt like it did before, if that's, if that's a thing to say. You don't ever want any penalties? but there's kind of two categories. I will always take a trying to make play penalty over a what the heck were you doing penalty, right? Like the the, the false start coming out of a timeout or, or a, uh, a kickoff um, or the, you know, like too many men on the field or just dumb avoidable penalties, like a holding penalty, a block in the back. You're out there trying to make a play, right? Like fix that, get that better too, right? It, you know, get as close to zero as you can, but um, this didn't feel like a ref show at any point. So good for that. Let's have a year full of that where, where neither team really is, is focused on what the ref did or didn't do for them. Um, you know, there was calls that could have gone like they threw a flag and they said, Oh, they're going to give Brewer a pass interference. And they didn't They flag something else, but it's like, you know, they, there weren't OU levels where they're tackling our guys every play and get zero pass interference, but they also let them play and there wasn't either side getting pass interference call. So cool. Call it that way. And that's great. And this just, but you know, it's a, it's a relief to have that. Um, again, clean up some of the penalties. Uh, the block in the back on the special teams was a killer. I would have loved to have that one just for for, for Jamison. Jamison is a you know as a feeling, as aesthetics, as you know, as vibes. The guy the guy deserved it. He did it all, and uh, he kind of said he was. He's he's had a whole off season to stew, and he got the ball the first time and, and went house, and that was amazing. And what an electrifying feeling. Fortunately, came back, but nonetheless, clean that up. But you're right. It, it didn't feel like. We were killing ourselves. We were kicking ourselves. We were shooting ourselves in the foot. It, it, it felt like, you know, again, there were some plays. The perfect week one is to win easily, no stress, no big injuries, and, and still have quite a bit of tape to work on. And I think on both sides of the ball, there's still a lot of tape for these coaches to get in these guys and say, this needs to be better. That's not Texas standard. That's not acceptable. Um, but also that didn't end up costing us or, or making us come down to the final drive or go to overtime against a team that we shouldn't have done that. And again, wow. Uh, what a new era. It's amazing what happens when five-star talent plays up to, like, not, this wasn't even the ceiling, I don't think. Like, they just got close. They shouldn't get trapped in the basement is what it felt like. Right. So right. let's look at some specifics. Hudson Card got the start. Had a really good game, 14 of 21, 224. Uh, two touchdowns through the air, one on the ground. Uh, 13 for 13 for 190 on passes, 20 yards or shorter, which if you exclude, like, the batted down balls or throwaways, like, that's really, really good. Um, 0. 0.71 yeah. EPA, which is, like, a expected points added so basically of the points that he should have scored he got 70 basically 71 percent of them which was the second best in week one and that's a really incredible thing to look at like he's making the plays he should more often than not seven times out of ten three and a half times out of five he's making that play which is good they did get both quarterbacks in there Casey Thompson came in um, and he got had played well as well looked efficient four or five for 41 yards and a touchdown he had a really great step up in the pocket. So, Kyle, you and I are both really like against the two quarterback system, but it never it didn't really feel like they were playing quarterback roulette, but they were really kind of getting both guys in, getting guys both in the action and seeing how the game shook itself out. I think it worked kind of how they did it. I'll be curious to see how this plays out. This is unfortunately because the quarterback position going to be a a talked about point this week and and hopefully not, but most likely a storyline 
throughout the the entire season. I think Hudson Card is the starting quarterback. I think you know Sark even said in his presser, look at Nick Saban. You know he got Tua, um, who was the backup snap, so that he was ready to go and won a national championship off of it. Right? It, it works. It makes sense to have your backup sharp, engaged, and ready to go. But in saying that, he very much said Casey Thompson is the backup. Right? So there shouldn't be any any debate or controversy here, and I don't think there is or necessarily should be but um i thought it kind of worked there was still some meat on the bone when casey came in so it wasn't garbage time i think he came in and and led some touchdown drives and made some plays and i think he had a beautiful um kind of step up to 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 convert a third down with pressure in his face and and we'll talk about the offensive line a little bit and how both these guys had to do that but um yeah i thought you had two um power five quarterbacks who I'd say all but maybe 10, 15 schools in the country would be happy with either of them. You know what I mean? Um, and and that's, a, that's a great place to be and a great feeling to have. So, um, yeah, I'm not upset with either of their performances. Again, how they manage that will be interesting. Um, the, the whole, you know, if, if you want to talk about one glaring piece that wasn't perfect, and I'm not even going to say, like, weakness, but um, it, it was the deep balls from card that, that, that weren't. Um, Sark talked about it in his presser, just – the entire offense, especially the running game, um, opens up if you connect on more of those and you take the top off. And I think there was two to two to more and maybe one to Worthy that, that they didn't connect on. They did connect on one to Xavier Worthy. But um, if they connect on those deep balls again, and, and I don't think all of the cards, uh, puns intended, were, were necessarily shown on this one. Yeah. But, um, you know, Hudson Card has been known for his deep ball in the spring. He's thrown some really pretty ones. He's got a, he's got a cannon, as you saw in some of his short throws. He can just rifle it. So I don't think it's a problem. I think it's just it's reps it's it's comfort you know it's it's getting into those i don't think and sark even in his post game when he said that didn't seem just reading his <laughs> face concerned like we'll get it we'll, we'll get those. those those will come we'll keep trying like it didn't didn't seem to phase him but that you know if you want to point out one piece in the passing game that that wasn't there that i obviously would like to see it's that you know connect on a couple more of those deep balls and you're talking about just a purely perfect game yeah and i think that is part of the reason why it took them a little bit to get going, especially on the ground, right? Because they they were able to load the box. And that's one of the things that UL likes to do because they've got big physical corners. And honestly, UL may have some of the bigger corners that Texas is going to play against all year. And so they're guys that can challenge these guys. Now, Jordan Whittington made some of them look like little boys. Especially, <laughs> I feel bad for that linebacker. I've never actually seen a, uh, somebody break an ankle live, <laughs> but it happened, right? And we'll oh, talk man. about that in the when we get to the wide receivers. But Bijan had a career night and it didn't feel like a career night probably shouldn't have been a career night if he was coached properly before but 20 carries and four receptions are both career highs for him which means he had 24 touches which is also a career high for him uh for 176 yards and two total touchdowns on route to being the walter camp offensive player of the week the big 12 player of the offensive player of the week and Team co-offensive MVP with the aforementioned Jordan Winnington. Keelan Robinson and Roshan each got eight carries apiece. Uh, Keelan put up 41 yards and Roshan managed 27. He also had two catches for 22. And both of those are first down. So solid outing from a really deep group of running back. And I like the change of pace, I think, that Keelan adds to that group when he comes in. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. And, and um, I mean one of the kind of takeaways that we wondered all year what the distribution of different sets would look like if we were going to run you know uh two running back sets that i think everyone wanted it um we spent 
18% of our snaps and 20 personnel and average 6.5 yards uh, per snap when, when we were in that with two backs on the field. So I think that even though we, we know that this wasn't 100% of the playbook in week one, um, we know that that's going to be a, a big part of this offense. We kind of thought it would be, we hoped it would be with that being, you know, one of our more talented and deeper rooms. And obviously we know what Bijan is. Let's put that to the side for a second. Um, but I thought Roshan, you know, was Roshan. He was good. He was great. He, he kind of did it all. Like I said, both his catches were for first downs. One of them he caught, you know, kind of a, made something out of nothing on a third down, caught behind the line, hurdled an oncoming guy and, and got uh, 12 yards out of it, you know, um, to, to move the chains, right? And it was a pure effort, pure talent play. He also took a wildcat snap, which was in the goal line and was interesting. They didn't go back to it, but just a little hint of the fact that there are wrinkles upon wrinkles to come. This, to me, and we'll talk about it a little bit more, but the whole play calling today felt like not just a script in that these plays are what we are going to run, but I want to do this to set up this. I'm going to have this motion to set up later in the game. These, then if they stop this, we're going to hit them with the, you know, like, the stuff that Sark, every one of their red zone plays, honestly, both offense and defense will talk, but just the the first Bijan touchdown was schemed. The 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 Cade Brewer throw, if they don't throw it to Cade, uh, the the third read on that Jordan Whittington was wide open. You know, it's like it, it, it just looked like when, when on money downs, on third downs, on red zone, you saw that why Sark has a national reputation as, you know, one of, let's call it two three of the you know best play caller in the nation maybe just one of one no offense to to, to my boy Lincoln uh, up up north but uh, not really my boy um, but uh, but yeah I, I did like what Roshan did and then again you can't leave out uh, Keelan Robinson coming in and, and if defenses are going to be playing in 176 degree uh, Texas stadiums by the the second half they're going to be as hot and worn down as we all were as fans and uh, it was so hot Gerald it was unbearably unbelievably hot in that stadium but um keelan robinson coming in in the second half is, is a cheat code just the speed he has and the strength which is a little surprising with a broken tackle on that 25 yarder um but that's going to be tough for defenses when they see that change of pace because you know Bijan has has it all he has he's uh, you know made of rubber he's elastic he can bend he can wiggle um he has some speed he has some power but like then what's your what's your second punch going to be if you have the speed of keelan robinson or just the 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 fall forwardness for three more yards of roshan johnson it's a nasty one two three punch honestly shouldn't just call it a one two punch so i i i like it i think you're not going to see a reduction in touches for any of those three guys right i think that's about what you're going to get you might get more um and that's 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 a tough proposition for any defense this group of backs is going to be a problem and i think it's it's really not a one two three situation where it's really like a one a one b one c and that's a good situation to be in and a group that we had questions about going in the wide receivers i think we still have some questions as well. Uh, Jordan Whittington, a question we don't have is, is he back? And it seems like he is. Jordan Whittington was the other offensive MVP, and a lot of the talk rightfully has been about Bijan. But Jay Witt had a night, too. That dude, seven receptions, 113 yards, which is a career high, and a score. Targeted eight times. Uh, one of his targets was kind of thrown out of bounds in the end zone, and it was you know weird. Couldn't get it. That, there's that touchdown on the sideline that he kind of couldn't get his feet in. Could have been a catch in any other situation. But like... He had an incredible game, and he showed some physicality. He showed some power. He showed he is also on the uh, Gary Johnson all action figure team. The, like just the way he looks in that <laughs> uniform is ridiculous. Uh, Josh Moore had three catches for seventeen, and Xavier Worthy had two for thirty four. There's a, there's still I think some questions and some things to be desired from the wide receiver room, and I think you're not going to get by all year with just three guys. But um, 
at least from what we saw from Whittington, there's a lot to be excited about. Yeah, let's spend some time talking about it because I think we we went on various various previews, uh, you know, uh, across the, the the Big Twelve and the greater college football landscape, and people asked us, "What do you think about Texas and and what's going to happen?" And I think you and I both at various points and on this very podcast said, "Well, if Jordan Whittington can be who we think he can be, um, it's really going to going to you know, it's going to be the catalyst to this offense." We know Bijan will be the, the the attention, the focus, but is it is is Texas going to have that second uh, weapon that's just how do you stop both of them? And look, those are your two best players, and, and they just showed out in the first game. Like I, like you said, if, if he goes up and, and it was actually a, a route that, uh, you know, Card put it where either he makes a crazy, unbelievable play or it's out of bounds and we get the next one, uh, and they did. Um, but he went up and still caught it, and it took him out of bounds but just showed his athleticism maybe as much on that one as either of his just broken tackle crazy uh, runs. Credit to Marcus Washington on the, the touchdown that Whittington did have. I counted it. He uh, he held the block on the corner for four seconds and then drove him out of bounds. So basically the perfect uh, – and they, they – it was it – was, um, uh, uh, our, our friend on the call, uh, Brando, and he basically said, "Oh, the check down." And, and, and you watch the play; the the far left receiver blocked. Uh, it was an RPO. Clearly, they were either going to run it or throw it to Whittington. There was no other option. No other receiver ran a route. He's like, "Oh, the safety valve is what he said. The safety valve, Whittington." I was like, "No, that that was a design." Anyways, you know, bad commentators, but um, it was great because he just took a guy out, and then Whittington did what he did and, and made the play. But the you know, he obviously broke someone's ankles, which is unreal. And then he had the catch where he you know caught it at let's call it. 14 yards and then ended up with with let's call it 40 yards and in between just did that 20 yards was some of the nastiest stuff I'd seen uh in, in weeks months or maybe years where he just rolled through three or four Cajuns and and drug one of them like a you know like a, a Thanksgiving football game where where uh you know the six-year-old hangs on to the the uh, college age kid after a catch you know just drug him uh like like a sack of clothes and uh you know it so happy for him. He has not been able to keep it together with, with injuries. And we knew this talent was there. Um, actually in, in a couple of, of the, the previews, I was, I talked a little bit about his, um, kind of specific statistics and, and his average depth of target. And this is probably something we'll continue to see last year was 4.7 yards, but his average yard per completion was 9.8. So his a dot was, was under five and his com- yards per completion, basically five meant when he catches the ball, he will get you five more yards, which just shows he's a man who knows how to how to get you know yards after the catch. And that wasn't even again last year uh, a fully healthy year. But what you saw from him was a little bit more downfield, a little bit more you know interesting route running, and a little bit of just pure athleticism. I think that that there is more in the in the in the tank in the book for Whittington, and and we've had Duvernay, we've had guys Colin Johnson that third down quarterbacks just look to, and I mean you saw a couple other guys make plays, but this year. It looks like Jordan Whittington, when we need yards, when it has to go, that's both quarterbacks feel comfortable that that's the guy. And so, yeah, so we, we've been talking about the offense quite a bit. And we do have to, two things we do have to talk about. The tight ends, though, where two of the three sacks are on tight end blown blocks. And that's a tough conversation yeah. to have. The offensive line overall and just the pass pro was not the greatest we've seen. And I think we knew going in that this was going to be a question and an issue. I think I don't want to single guys out, but there's a particular, you know, left side of the line that maybe could have been a little bit better overall. And that's again, um, I think Kyle Fled still has a lot of work to do with his group. I don't want to be, I would not want to be in his meeting room this week. That's all I'll say. Cause that would, it was, it was looking uh, dicey and spicy. It, it was the only unit that I graded as a negative. This, this, uh, you know, 
game. Every every other single positional group was was you know graded out as a positive. I think they had some plays. They got better as the game went on, and that's a good sign. Um, but especially in that first half, I mean, I'm glad both of our quarterbacks are you know mobile in the pocket at least not not mobile as they're both going to run though Carr did some work with his with his legs it was nice but guys who can make the first guy miss and in Carr's case sometimes second and third guy uh miss because if that's going to be the play against some good defenses this year and they will face some um there's going to be a lot of pressure now they had a little bit of a, a, a Texas scheme different from what they've shown in the past they showed some four-man fronts they they brought blitzes from all over so you know credit to to louisiana for that but uh, yeah i do think that that they will they will need to be this needs to be their their worst game of the year right they need to be better every week uh even if they, they don't necessarily play a better you know defensive line every single week they'll probably play two or three better i think oklahoma's you know uh has the talent at least to be really good in in, in that area and we'll talk about some others as we get closer to them but um this needs to be the, the 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 floor, right? We talk about ceiling and floor. This needs to be the floor. It can't be any worse than this. Um, run blocking, you know, give Bijan the holes and he'll make it. But you got to give him the holes in the first half. You didn't or first quarter, I guess. You didn't see a lot of that. And and yeah, the pass pro just has to be has to be better. Has to be a lot better. Yeah, and I think we we hopefully will see that against Arkansas. But I I think the two the two flaws that we've talked about. Um, remedy each other, right? If Texas can connect on some of the deep balls, then I think the ground game picks it up. I think if Texas can get the ground game going, the deep balls get a little more open because your your defensive backs have to really respect the run a bit more. And so I think those are two things I think we'll continue to watch, not just this week, but moving forward. I don't think UL or Arkansas or even Rice are going to be the three best teams that Texas plays all year. So there's a lot to talk about there. So moving on to the defense, Kyle, we, we've got to spend some time and talk about this defensive yeah. performance because there was a, there was there was good, there was okay, there was some not so good in, in some spots, and that's all right. Again, first game, new system, first time against people in other colored jerseys. So Texas gave up fewer than twenty points. Uh, it was actually the first time that Louisiana was held under twenty in thirteen games. It's actually, two five seven adjusted points per drive. Again, you lop off that last drive because they were out of the game at that point to kind of really get a true sense of how it was going to be. And so 359 total yards, 109 on the ground. They actually only lost three rushing yards. I The thing I hate about college stats is that they include sacks in your rushes. And so you get yeah. weird things like what happened in the Clemson game where it's like they rushed for like two yards, but it was like 79,000 negative yards for sacks. But it is what it is. Uh, 7.1 yards per play. It was a really, really incredible outing for, I think, the defensers. Again, like you said, there's some stuff to work on, but I think we see the promise of this defense in a lot of spots. I just want to start with it with a big plus because I think this is the most important thing to talk about with the defense. This would have been, if eight missed tackles seems to be the kind of official tally right now, it would have been the number one performance of the Tom Herman era uh, across <laughs> different defensive coordinators included. That would have been our best performance. And look... If you just hear that, like, oh, let me say, how many, how many yards does that actually make that big of a difference? They, I mean, they were averaging seventy-six yards given up a game. Uh, I think is the stat I saw uh, via missed tackles, like average. Some games were were quite a bit higher via missed tackles. like that. That for you know, again, go back to the Clemson team. That would have doubled their offensive production. I kid, I kid. But uh, you know, like that's a lot. Like missed tackles can 
change everything. We talk about third downs on the offense, third downs on the defense. I mean, that, that was huge getting off the field. Billy Napier talked about it in his postgame press conference, like, you know, what, what couldn't, what went well, what didn't, uh, what, what couldn't you do? He said, we, we didn't get to run plays. <laughs> we, we ran so few plays. They're a running team who, you know, gets in these grooves. They like to have these long drives where they pound you. They didn't get that against Texas. They, they didn't convert on, on third downs. You know, they didn't get to run as many plays as they like to run. They didn't get to get hot. They can get to get in the groove. Um, and so credit to that. But I think a lot of it is that tackling um, and, and pretty sure tackling. And, and like, again, out of the eight, I think three of them were on a touchdown play where, you know, maybe four where it was just bad tackling on a play. They had a corner blitz and a linebacker having to drop to a position he wasn't comfortable with and another linebacker overplayed and then basically a guy had a head of steam. You know, it was a tough play, good play on his part, but you take that out, and again, that's coachable moment. This is a, a, an absolutely – Jamison had a wide open one-on-one. If he doesn't make it, they get a first down, open field tackle. Um, you know, multiple of our defensive backs had one-on-one tackles. Our linebackers all over it. I mean, just tackled well through and through. You're never going to have a perfect – you're not going to, you know, throw a perfect game, pitch a shutout every week, guys. Um, I I am thrilled with the tackling. Like I said, clean up one play, maybe two plays. Wonderful performance uh, from a defense as a, as a total. The one that sticks sticks out to me is Jamison on the third down, where on third and eight he he has the route covered beautifully, and he's on the man as the ball gets there, and he limits him to five when they need eight. And I feel like last year that's a broken tackle. He runs the the guy runs through the tackle, picks up a first down, and it turns into points for the other team. And so that was really where it started to feel different as far as the defense goes. And so the other, I think the other thing that we have to point out here, and I put it out there on Twitter, is the run fits from the interior linebackers. Like the, the way that they played that, the way that they found themselves and put themselves in the right spots were absolutely incredible. Both Brockermeyer and Overshome, they they, they they hit their run fits absolutely perfectly, I think, more often than not. And that's the thing. We talked about it in our in our preview show. This defense, when your defensive line is playing well, that's what this looks like. Because a guy like Snacks Coburn, a guy like Mora Ojomo, a guy like Tavondre Sweat is occupying one to two blockers and allowing your, your linebackers to shoot through those gaps on run assignments free and make a tackle for loss or stop them at the line, right? And so that was really incredible and, and quite impressive from that, that unit that they were able to perform at that level. And I think we have to stop and pause and say those two were very much, I think, the defensive MVPs, at least from my book. Oh, without a doubt. I think you and I predicted that, that our linebackers would be the most important unit as much as we've talked about our defensive line showing out and as much as we talked about the the, the seniority and kind of returning that we have. Um, I think linebackers was always going to be the most important of those three units just because the ceiling floor difference of, of what they could be. And I think we saw hopefully not even ceiling, but just that you have you have Choate and you have Kwiatkowski who are, who are just renowned coming into this for coaching guys for coaching up for getting guys both of those are, are teachers of the game and you take a guy into Marvin Overshin who's who's a, a, a playmaker and they moved him to linebacker last year and you saw him headhunting and, and playmaking and doing things they taught him this offseason how to be a linebacker he looks like a really good linebacker not just a playmaker who was playing linebacker and I think there is a difference in that and I think you know Brocker Myers a guy we've all loved and and you love the story you loved where he's come what he's done um I just think they, they pair really well. You know what I was thinking about is you, you basically – remember those Gary Patterson defenses where it's just like, you know, like some random three-star you haven't heard of and all of a sudden he's, you know, averaging 13 grant 
Wallow or just whoever. It's one of these guys um, that's like just this Big 12 linebacker who gets 128 tackles a year. It's like, where did he come from? And now he's going to go play on Sunday. Just That's what it feels like right now. You throw those two guys in a 4-2 and we four three depending on how you look at it, but but four two and some backs behind them. It felt like a TCU Gary Patterson defense, and I say it in the most complimentary way. Um, I, I mean, I liked it. I liked our look a lot, and especially that linebacker room. That that to me was you know those two guys, and and if you want to throw Ovi in there, and and I happily will, uh, we're probably our three best players on the field, like bar none. Absolutely. I think you can throw Ovi in there. You can throw Ray Thornton in there who came up with a sack late in the game. Like those guys really held it down for uh, Texas and they played a ton of guys. I think they played what uh, somewhere in the range of like 30 different players on defense, which is good because again, you get those guys snaps early because you're going to need those bodies when Big 12 play comes and Texas Tech is running 97 plays. Yes. And, and I was keeping a count, Gerald, early um, before, you know, I guess we're calling it garbage time. I think I was like at 22. 324 something like that like in the the first part of the third quarter like we saw a lot of guys you saw Jet Bush play a ton you saw uh Vernon Broughton uh all these guys get in there and play a lot like you, it, there was just a lot of bodies thrown at him and, and if you don't have we're gonna talk in our next week's preview like this guy is the guy here and this guy is an all-american here but instead you just have too deep at multiple positions that are really good above average guys why not be the defense that's never tired and always fresh and you'd keep your you know three or four key guys in there who, who are not getting off the field but the other ones rotate them in give them fresh legs cause havoc like I, I like that as an identity keep it up I think the the more body again the more bodies you have because football's a violent game football will wear on you football is a game where it's it's tough to stay healthy and so again get all of those guys all of the reps that you can so quickly Kyle let's talk about the special teams and then we'll kind of wrap this thing up special teams um was was somewhat special uh Jameson had yet another punt return uh called back which is annoying and I feel like Again, he would have the he'd probably have the school record at this point because if he didn't have all of those uh, all his call back, back, yeah, I think he'd at, think at so. the school record, which is uh, ridiculous. Uh, Texas punted only twice, which is nice. Again, and you saw all of the drives end with kicks, which was fun. Dicker one of two on field goals. The bugaboo, the forty-five yard, that forty to fifty range is just not great for him. He has more misses from 40 to 50 than the other three ranges combined, which is just absolutely nuts. Look, if, if you want to have one blemish, it's that Dicker miss, uh, the the first miss into the into the Longhorn. Uh, maybe when it's not so hot and there's more fans that come out there, you know, it'll give him a better background. I don't know. Um, but no, you, you're right. That, that That is, I guess, slightly worrying. But hopefully... We'll just never be in games where we have to have field goals. We can be nice to have field goals, but we won't need them so much. But again, Dickers always nails when the game's on the line. So maybe not enough pressure. Maybe, I don't know. We'll figure out what it is. But I'll say every other part, Jeff Banks just crushed it. Um, they, like you mentioned, had the one called back, but they, the one they did have was Xavier Worthy had a nice 18-yard punt return, which is great. I will take 15 to 20 yards every single day of the week every single time on a punt return that was great and he looked to have you know like he wanted more he had a, he had a so you have two guys who can have the potential to take it to the house at any given time and that's nasty and they ran a two punt returner set which was very interesting i haven't seen that from texas uh maybe ever or at least in a while um like you said punted only twice but they were both 
good punts and they covered really well. Remember, this was a team, and it was kind of a thing I was keeping an eye on, that their upset in Iowa State was because they had two return touchdowns. That was really the difference in that game that they won last year, and Texas just shut that down. Um, you know, they blocked a, a, a point after attempt. That's like, that's that's amazing. Like, you don't, when the last time that happened? And then the, the fact that they recovered the onside kick that you knew was coming later in the game, but they also recovered the surprise one uh sarks sark said in his presser that jeff banks gave uh gave him a heads up said you know just be on be on the lookout that this could be where they try something so the fact that our special teams coaches were coaching and doing that well it feels like at times we've just expected athletes to go do the thing which is great but the fact that we coached it and we were ready for it and then we recovered it and it was could have been a momentum swing in the game and it just wasn't like that's not points on the board, but that's points, you know, that that didn't go the other way. I mean, those are key plays in the game. So, I mean, I love that when we're talking about our special teams and the only thing is like, ah, I wish we would have hit both of our field goals, not the one. That's great. I love that. That's a wonderful conversation. Absolutely. So to put a, to put a bow on this, Texas won the third down battle, adjusted to different looks and was able to flex without showing too much early. Um no major injuries. Angulaus looked bad early, but he was back in practice uh, on Sunday, so that's good to see. Wiley, I think, is also back in practice. Um, week one is tough. Week one is hard, especially uh, this was the most experienced team in the nation, really, in Texas. Put it on them. So, Kyle, if you want to give us the Potsdamus update, uh, we'll close it out for football. All right, I'll just say one last thing before we get to the Potsdamus. I, I did listen to the Billy Napier kind of post-game press conference in addition to Sarks, and he spent a lot of his time talking about Sarkeesian and uh, uh, Coach K and just the game plan that they had and how prepared the team was. So, again, when you have a coach like Billy Napier, who legitimately is respected, I mean, they tried to do the, the you know, wins added for a team, like coaching wins added, uh, basically, and he blew everyone out the past couple of years in the country. He's taken a team of, of not the same amount of talent that we have in Texas and made them a formidable opponent. So a really respected coach, one of the hottest coaching names in the country. And he spends – a fourth of his press conference talking about the job that our coaches did in their first game. That tells me it's a good sign. Like, again, I respect Napier um, and the fact that you could just see the respect that he had for Sark and PK meant something to me. And I like that. So that was one of my takeaways from the game as well. But I do want to go Gerald that we talked about it being an easy game and not too stressful. The only thing that was causing stress and I love this. I hope every game is like this is in the fourth quarter I'm checking the yards and and versus your prediction and my prediction and where we sit. So I'll recap it quickly. My two predictions were the Bijan would get 140 total yards, 100 of those being rushing at 176 yards. Uh just squeaked over the 100 yards so rushing I put which him I back will in to get 100. That, <laughs> I was so mad on his last carry. I <laughs> I shot him a text. I was like, "Hey, sir, could I get one more carry?" I'm, I'm, uh, you know, the podcast. I don't know. You probably heard it this week, but yeah. And he said, "Yeah, yeah." He's, that's when he, he he squats down. If you see him on the sideline when he crouches like that, is when he's returning my text. Um, so he was t- he was te- he was texting me back. He said, "I'll give you one more." Um, so anyway, so I, I I obviously got that one. Um, the one I was very scared about was the 24 points or less. Big Darian Dunn uh, forced turnover there came through uh, for me. Um, th- again, you heard the stat. They, all of last year, they never were held under 20 points um, and, and uh, even got my stretch goal of holding them under 20. So that was great. I got both of mine. Gerald got both of Bijan's two touchdowns, which was amazing. Uh, unfortunately, did not have the two turnovers forced. Again, Darian Dunn gave you one. Uh, if Jade Barron could have gotten that interception, you could have got yours as well. I thought I thought he had it, man. I thought that was going to be one. But uh, 
you were close there on it. I, I, I have a feeling that that, that will be a, a good one to watch going forward. I do want to claim – I'm going to claim like a, a half a point because you said linebackers and I said specifically D. Overshone would be the MVP. I'm just saying. I'm just saying D. Overshone got the MVP award from the team. Yeah. It's fine. It is what There it you is. go. No, it's fine. It is no, so I, official it, score. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I'm not bitter at all. Two to one. Kyle, going in to week two. So now's the part of the show where we whip around the rest of campus and give you some coverage of the sports that don't normally get it, and we down the 40. Let's start with easily one of the one best teams on campus. Number one, <laughs> Texas Volleyball got a 3-1 to one win over Minnesota. They were number 10, I believe, at the time, dropped to number 13, uh, and then swept now number 14 Stanford over the weekend. Big weekend for the ladies, uh, knocking off some ranked opponents in convincing fashion. Yeah, absolutely, and you, you saw it from the the kind of the, the expected names. Logan Eggleston was elite in both of them. Uh, Skylar Fields was, was just you know, money. Uh, Asia O'Neill did what she did. Molly Phillips came up big. I like that. I mean, basically, they they had a scare against a really good Minnesota team, and I don't want to call it a scare, but they had a crazy comeback where they were down, almost gave up a a set, and then had like a fourteen to three rally to come back from behind, and then you know never looked back. And it clearly never looked back because Stanford's a good team. They they have some top twenty five wins already on their season. They have upset some people, and they are a a, a team you didn't want to face. They were hot, and when they swept them, I just kind of said, "Wow, like this this might be uh, a twenty what is it twenty fourteen Spurs season redemption tour when they got uh, Ray Allen in the corner three and uh, Tim Duncan made the only like bold claim he ever say we'll get it next year. Um, it it kind of feels that way. Like this volleyball team thinks they should have won last year, and they're basically on a redemption tour. And I love to see it. Next up, they've got Texas State, Arizona, and Notre Dame, Tuesday, Friday, and Sunday, respectively, all at Gregory Gymnasium. Soccer got their first win of the season. Now, the 3-0-3-0 win over ACU wasn't an exhibition, so they got their first actual official win of the season with a 4-0 win over New Mexico State. Julia Grosso and Lexi Missimo both scored a pair in that one, tied for the team high on the year and then they actually pulled the draw of number 13 rice one to one so it was tough because it looked like texas took control late uh emily jane cox scored the go-ahead goal and then rice scored like two minutes later tough tough outing for the soccer team yeah, it was, a, it was a double overtime game, and, and Texas just never stopped trying to get that winner. 35 shots uh, in this game was the highest since uh, Ange Kelly took over in 2012. So they were shooting. Uh, just credit to Rice for, for keeping that uh, that draw. But again, that's a, that's a top 15 opponent that they uh, basically were on the cusp. Rice had some chances too, but uh, were able to draw level with. So that's a good sign for, for Texas soccer moving forward. Cross country kicked off their season in uh, winning fashion. Both the men and women swept the top seven spots of the Tornado Watch Invitational, which is just an incredible name. Gerald, I, I did that may be my favorite of the, you know, Invitational. Baseball has them, basketball has them. The, the Invitational uh, naming tournament, uh, in-season tournaments are great. Tennis has them. I don't know if I've seen one better than Tornado Watch Invitational. Absolutely. Um, men's golf ranked number five in the preseason poll. Uh, starting the season on the 13th, Pearson Cootie, Cole Hammer, Travis Vick, all named preseason Haskins award watch list women's golf ranked number nine in the preseason poll they actually open the season on the same day as well so now it's the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics big bertha and we bang the drum brought to you by joe ruiz so kyle 
What are you banging the drum on this week? Gerald, um, you may or may not have heard Texas will be going to the SEC. Um, people, haters, uh, have said, why would the SEC want Texas? They're an they're a average team at best. They're subpar product on the field, I guess, because they're rich. I guess because they're big. Um, folks, it just means more. But apparently not at Arkansas because as much as they love running around saying Woo Pig Suey and, and things of that ilk, um, our, our next opponent, the Arkansas Razorbacks, have not been able to sell out in the Aggie Chad or, or um, Sam Pittman era a home game in Fayetteville. That is until the Texas Longhorns came to town. That's right. It is the first sellout since 2017. And this is basically the answer to to why did the SEC so badly want Texas? Because everyone wants to play Texas. It is a marquee game when you play Texas. One of my uh, my brother's childhood best friends was a quarterback at, at North Texas. Uh, Scott Hall was like one of their one of their great quarterbacks. But he opened the season twice against Texas when uh, North Texas played played UT in his four year career, and and basically said just like you kind of get an awe. You forget that you're the other team when you're playing at DKR and you see the burn orange and you see the Longhorn. And, uh, you know, it, it, it is, I remember him telling me this, like it just is this feeling of awe. And this is a guy who played, you know, college football, was a four-year starter, won multiple bowl games for, for a team and, and just talked about how it feels uh, to, to play, at, you know, against UT. There's some mystical quality to it. It's a big deal for every player in the nation. It, it really, truly is. Um, and, and, and for Every team for every fan base, again, it's the reason the poll a couple of years ago, who has the most rivals, it's UT. We are everyone's Super Bowl. The fans will show up. The player in, in the past, the teams will show up to play against us. And that's, you know, when our team didn't, that, that had us lose some games. But, you know, that's been that way in the Big 12. But this is a national uh, thing. And Arkansas, you know, obviously is 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 an old rival. And this one will mean a lot. But this is this is a trend here, guys. When Texas joins the SEC those first few games, just think. When Texas comes to town, it's a show. People are going to sell out. They're going to show up. They're going to want to watch UT play. And just imagine, if, if Sark can get something going and this is a real good program, um, that stuff doesn't go away. It's only amplified. So um, get ready, SEC. This is the norm. Texas will be a big game for every team. It just means more. It's always meant more here at Texas. I have said for a long, long time that even in Texas's worst decade, Texas was always the Joneses. In the worst decade of Texas football, statistically, we did the math. Texas was still the Joneses. We'll always be the Joneses. We'll never not be the Joneses. And regardless of how you want to spin it, most more often than not, most of it is you hate us because you ain't us. And again, that's why you show up. That's why they want to beat Texas. That's why they'll probably play better than they did against Rice. But again, I said it on a, uh, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Texas is Texas, and even when Texas is bad, Texas is the biggest and best brand in college athletics. I'm banging the drum this week on Sark and, and some of the changed mood in the team. So if you didn't see it, if you, you probably noticed it. On the walk-in to the stadium, the, the Bevo Boulevard walk, the team looked a little bit different than they have in years past. You know, under Charlie Strong and Tom Herman, they had kind of a uniform dress look. They had the khaki pants and I think it was a navy blazer with a white shirt burnt orange tie everybody dressed in their business attire going to wear their business clothes to put on different other work clothes to go take care of some business well 
Steve Sarkeesian changed it up a little bit. And so they uh, they let the players pick their own custom suit for the walk. And so you saw guys wearing all sorts of stuff. You saw some burnt orange suits. You saw Deshaun Jameson rocking like a seafoam green that looked absolutely incredible. Uh, it looked real nice. You know, Snacks Coburn went kind of Blues Brothers black on black with a skinny tie. I don't know if it was a skinny tie or it was just a regular tie on Snacks Coburn's broad chest, but he looked good doing it. And you know, it's not just cool that they partnered with a former Texas ball player, basketball player um, who has a suit company, who has a custom suit company. Uh, it's called Reveal. They're not a sponsor or anything. It's just they do custom suits. You can get a suit with a Longhorn liner in it. So, like, do that if you want to do that. But, like, the fact that they're letting players be more of themselves. And part of the knock on Tom Herman is that like people didn't like him and people didn't really like being around him. They didn't feel like they could be themselves. And this feels like a complete 180, which hopefully and probably is why it felt like a complete 180 on the field. And so I'm banging the drum this week on just letting players be players, letting players be who they are and letting them live up to their billing. Because I think when you look good, you feel good. When you feel good, you play good, quote Deion Sanders. And so I think Texas... Looked good, felt good, and played good against Louisiana. I am a strong, strong, strong proponent of this. This is why we we champion all of the armbands, the four and the eight, uh, from Agent Zero, uh, which was a, a great move honoring uh, Jake Ellinger. I thought it was awesome, but we always we always love the the aesthetics. You know, I think it, it matters as the generation yielded on uh, customizable avatars on you know video games that we either chose to make after ourselves or um, you know. Uh, whoever it might be, uh, it does matter. Uh, you know, uh, have some panache, have some flair, have some style, uh, and, and you know, let that translate onto the field. I, I, I like it. I don't think with PK and Sark you're ever going to have an undisciplined program per se. Uh, but let them have a little, let them have a little fun with it. And I, I liked what I saw in Week One. The burn orange versions of those suits were also tasty. The couple of players rocking those um, again. Uh, reveal suits if you want to sponsor us i will gladly gladly take a burn orange suit uh dm me for my address and and we will <laughs> we will get it we'll get it cracking carlton dixon if you are listening let me know i'll send you my measurements dm me we'll get na- <laughs> just navy with longhorn in- inside and, and we'll be we'll be good to go but that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet if they need to DM you about a suit? <laughs> if you either want to send me suit DMs or chain restaurant recommendations, you could do so at Kyle Carpenter. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodridge. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, Longhorn Republic Pod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this weekend. Until next time. Hook 'em. Hook 'em. Watch out, pigs.